Palestinians deserve a state of their own. Welcome back to the Mike Huckabee Show. The president has really been sending some mixed messages the past couple of days. Yesterday, you would have thought that he was the best friend Israel ever had, and they could absolutely depend on him and count on him, and he recognized their right to uh, their traditional and biblical homeland. And today, you'd think, well, the Palestinians are the most oppressed people on earth, and uh, we're going to ignore all the terrorist acts that have happened over last number of decades and just go ahead and open the gates and let everybody come in and live happily ever after. I wish I could believe it. Joining me now is David Rubin. He's the former mayor of Shiloh, Israel, which is in uh, the, the Samaria region of the country. And uh, he's also the founder and president of the Shiloh, Israel Children's Fund, dedicated to easing the trauma of children, some of whom have been the victims of terrorist attacks. The fund uh, was established for a very personal reason, because Reuben and his three-year-old son were wounded in a vicious terrorist attack when they were uh, driving home from Jerusalem. He decided that he would retaliate, but not with hatred, not with anger, but with compassion, in order to effect positive change for Israel and its people. David, it's a pleasure having you here. Thanks for joining me here on the Mike Huckabee Show. Well, thank you. It's good to be with you. Uh, tell me first about the experience. You and your son were driving, I guess, from Jerusalem back to Shiloh, and what happened? Well, we were, we were about halfway home. Uh, my three-year-old son sitting buckled behind, buckled into the baby seat behind me, and we're about halfway home. Suddenly, there's a massive hail of bullets on the car. The car went completely dead when the bullets hit. And and I tried to start the car. The car wouldn't start. I felt the bullet go into my left leg. Blood started coming out, like a, almost like an open fire hydrant. Um, I turned around to my son, and, uh, and my son's name is Ruven, or we call him Ruby. I turned to him. I said, "Are you okay?" And and his eyes were staring straight ahead. His mouth was wide open, and I I didn't see any blood on him. I figured he was in shock, so I I tried to just tried to start the car and couldn't get it to start. Finally, on the fifth or the sixth try, the car finally started as if it had never had a problem starting before. I got up to the, to where there would be an ambulance where we found out that my son had been shot in the head and a bullet had gone into his head where the skull meets with the neck, causing a skull fracture, internal bleeding in the cerebellum. Uh, well, uh, to make a long story short, he uh, he miraculously survived and uh, the bullet had missed his brain stem by one millimeter. And we're, we're just very thankful that, that we survived that evening. And, and uh, that's how I ended up starting the Shiloh Israel Children's Fund, because after seeing how much trauma he had experienced, and I soon realized that there were so many other children who had experienced similar trauma in the biblical heartland of Israel in Samaria, uh, that that I started the Shiloh Israel Children's Fund to establish therapeutic and educational programs for children to help heal the trauma of terrorism and at the same time rebuild the biblical heartland of Israel. David, I think anyone hearing this story has to be just, I mean, absolutely stunned. And, and as parents and grandparents, you know, you hear this and you think, my gosh, this uh, this is so senseless to just indiscriminately shoot into a car and come that close to killing a three-year-old. And yet, you and I both know that this happens regularly in Israel. And one of the sad things for me is that the American media doesn't report um, the many times that this sort of incident happens. 
And and I've never understood why not, because uh, there seems to be an incredible bias against Israel when it comes to reporting acts of terrorism and acts of violence. And, you know, even the president today in his speech with uh, Mahmoud Abbas and then later at the university almost made it as if both sides are absolutely on the same level, equal in how they respond, how they react. Uh, David, I've been going to Israel since 1973 for 40 years as of this summer. That has absolutely not been my observation at all. And do you have any hope or prospects that there will be some kind of solution that would result in the Palestinians at least acknowledging Israel's right to exist? Well, I I, I just uh, finished writing my my uh, latest book, which just just came out this past week, and uh, it's called Peace for Peace: Israel in the New Middle East. Now, there there are some people who who feel that after thirty five years of of trying this this land for peace formula and seeing that it doesn't work, you know, land for peace formula meaning that Israel has to hand over. Judea and Samaria, its biblical heartland, over to the terrorists. And that, that Judea and Samaria is the West Bank, for those people who don't know. That's uh, the term that they call it by these days around the world. Uh, but to, to that, that formula hasn't worked. The, the two-state solution doesn't work because any time that we have given over land for peace, all we've gotten is terrorism in, in its place. So what I'm saying is, yes, there can be a peace plan that works, and and I call it peace for peace, meaning we extend our hand in peace, they extend their hand in peace. If they're really sincere about peace, they're not going to be using the peace process as a step with which to destroy us. Well, I think that's uh, the observation that many of us have had, is that Israel has given up, they gave up Gaza, uh, they've given up extraordinary amounts of land in both Judea and Samaria. Um, Palestinians now have control of Jericho and Bethlehem and uh, Ramallah, so many places. And yet there hasn't been any great sense of peace. The, the closest thing that has brought peace has been the security fence, which was almost universally condemned all over the world, despite the fact that it virtually shut down acts of indiscriminate terrorism in Tel Aviv and other major Israeli cities. And I just was at a banquet in Brooklyn a couple of weeks ago uh, honoring uh, the once uh, residents of Gush Katif in uh, Gaza. And that was supposed to bring out this wonderful peace. And the result is Hamas got in charge of Gaza, more rockets into Israel. I mean, there's no history of the Palestinians saying, oh, that that's what we needed right there. And we're going to make nice from this point forward. And, and I think that's what a lot of Americans just simply don't understand. They've, they've heard a very biased news opinion. And I guess if they hear my show, they hear a very biased opinion toward Israel. But it's not just based on something I've read. It's based on my uh, 40 years of going back and forth over there. Uh, what kind of response do you get from both Israelis and Palestinians to the effort that you write about in your book, Peace for Peace, Israel in the New Middle East? Well, uh, because the book just came out, so there there hasn't been that much reaction yet. But uh, look, the, the, so so far, uh, what what I'm hearing from people is that those who who get it, those who understand that for the past 35 years we've been banging our proverbial land for peace heads against the wall, 
billions have been spent on this peace process and nothing has been gained from it except for an increase in missiles, an increase in terrorism, an increase in the frequency of wars. And uh, so, so a lot of people are saying, hey, this is a breath of fresh air. We're changing the basic premises on which the peace process has been based. Uh, so I'm getting a lot of positive response. Uh, I'm also hearing from some people, uh, usually on the left of the spectrum, who are saying, wait a second, but this is a unilateral plan. You're saying Israeli sovereignty has to be extended to uh, the West Bank. Um, I'm, I'm saying also that, that there should be a path, for, a path towards loyal citizenship uh, for the residents of those areas. Uh, and, I, and I detail what that path includes. Uh, this is a very practical plan. Uh, but anytime anyone hears, wait a second, it's not going to be a compromise between you and uh, and the Palestinian Authority. They, they're, they're up in arms. Well, at the end of World War II, the Allies didn't sit down with the Nazis and say, okay, let's work out a peace plan. The Allies dictated the peace plan, and they were in the right. And and as a result of that, there's been peace in Europe. So, uh, so I, I don't see what the problem is here. They, people didn't have a problem with the unilateral peace plan in 2005 when Israel withdrew from Gaza. And no, all they we've didn't. gotten, gotten ex, in exchange for that is terrorism. So uh, I, I think it's a very reasonable plan. It's a very practical plan. And, and perhaps uh, we need to start talking about plans of this kind as opposed to a plan where Israel has to carve up uh, it's it's a biblical heartland and handed over to a band of terrorists. David, it's hard for me sometimes to understand um, a lot of Israelis who I understand they want peace, but many uh, Israelis on the left have been almost willing to give up any and everything, believing uh, that somehow the Palestinians will lay down you know their their bombs and uh, their bullets, but there's never been an indication of that. Um, is is that naivete, or where does that kind of uh, just blind trust come from? Well, I think it comes from from a couple of things. Uh, first of all, it comes from pressure from from the world. Uh, un- unfortunately, uh, our prime minister and some some of our leadership uh, in the in the Knesset. Uh, is looking over the shoulder all the time to see what Obama is going to say, what John Kerry is going to say. And uh, by the way, John Kerry did bring a peace plan, I should just point out, uh, even though he said that no peace plan will be presented. Um, and and uh, so, so there is that problem that, of world pressure. And there, there is also a problem that has to do with something much deeper. It has to do with a belief in the justice of our cause. And uh, m- most of most of the religious Zionists in Israel, uh, we we believe very strongly in the justice of our cause. We know that this land was given to the Jewish people by the Almighty, and uh, and I'm and I'm I'm certain. I for one am not afraid to say that. I I don't. Uh, I'm I'm not concerned about getting ridiculed for saying that that my peace plan and and everything that I say is based on biblical guidelines and based on historical precedent. I, I think that we need to, to look at historical precedent. We need to look at 
um, what the core of, of, of Israel's civilization and, and Western civilization says about how to proceed on peace in the land of Israel. I'm so refreshed to hear you say that you're unashamed to talk about uh, the biblical basis for Israel's existence and even for the borders, because it's something that so many politicians are certainly afraid to talk about it. And I know when I talk about it, I get ridiculed and, you know, just blasted by the American left who thinks that, you know, I'm some kind of uh, religious nut or fanatic. But, you know, I just ask them, well, can you give me another basis of uh, the existence of this country? And when I hear people talk about the right of the Palestinians, I'm thinking, my gosh, if you'd been in the Middle East in uh, even 1960, 1962, uh, at that time, Jews referred to themselves as Palestinians because everybody in the Middle East was a Palestinian. This idea that this is the ancient homeland of somebody uh, is sheer nonsense, but it's presented as if it's the gospel fact, and I'm just appalled by that. Well, I should, I should just point out that my father-in-law was born in the land of Israel in 1939, uh, before the reestablishment of the State of Israel. And, and he's told me that, that when he was a kid... He used to refer to himself sometimes as a Palestinian, a Jewish Palestinian. And most of the Arabs there said, we're not Palestinians, we're part of the Arab nation. It's only in 1964 when Yasser Arafat and his people established the Palestine Liberation Organization because the Arab nations hadn't been succeeding in destroying Israel that they invented that Palestinian people. Newt Gingrich was exactly right when he used that expression about inventing the Palestinian people. They are an invented people, just uh, invented about 45 years ago, 50 years ago. And there, there was never a country called Palestine. I defy anyone to tell me one, one leader from that Palestinian country that once existed or what the currency was from that Palestinian country. No one can answer that question because there never was a Palestinian country. You know, it is remarkable that uh, that it's just an assumption, and I rarely – no, let me go beyond that. I've never, ever heard any one of the American press just go ahead and say, look, I've done some research, and I've looked through the charter of all the nations and the history of the world, and there's never been a Palestine that was a recognized government. It's, it's just remarkable. David, I appreciate your being here. Uh, his book is called Peace for Peace. Israel in the New Middle East, and uh, again, we appreciate so much your joining us today. Well, thank you. It was good to be with you. That's David Rubin, former uh, mayor of Shiloh. What a remarkable, even stunning story about he and his son being attacked by terrorists on the road between Jerusalem and Shiloh. And, uh, you know, you hear a dad talk about uh, turning around and seeing his son and, and realizing his son has been shot in the head. It, it just puts a perspective on it.